This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy... Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Art and Craft Creativity, Interviews with people who make, they are here to help keep you sane. Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity, Craft Sanity. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This is episode 152. I'm really excited to introduce you to an artist who I met through Instagram. You gotta love Instagram. I was posting some photos of some of my screen printing experiments, and Marcy Davey from Ypsilanti started posting responses and kind of encouraging little tips and tricks for me to try. I really did appreciate that. We kind of got to talking about printmaking virtually through Instagram. And I thought, man, I I really need to get Marcy on the show. Thankfully, she agreed to be interviewed and we had a really great conversation. So if you have any interest in screen printing, this is a good episode to listen to because Marcy uses some techniques that are different than some of the more complicated methods of using emulsion and having exposure units and all that stuff that makes screen printing seem so inaccessible to a person working out of their own home studio. I do hope that you will check out Marcy's site. I'm going to post links at Craft Sanity. Marcy has a degree in printmaking and 2D design from Central Michigan University. She graduated in 2003, so we just missed each other because I graduated from Central with my undergrad in 1998. We're going to pick up the conversation with Marcy talking a little bit about her education and what she chose to study and how she kind of got started on this awesome path to being a full-time screen printer and artist. All right, so grab a cup of tea, folks, and settle in for an inspiring talk with Marcy Davey. I studied art. I I went in to study English originally. I was going to minor in art, and that lasted about a semester. There was just so much reading. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the, I love reading, but it was, it was more than I, I immediately dove into like romanticism classes and things that were just so... Yeah, it was a lot of reading, and I really enjoyed my art classes. So once I took a printmaking class, that's when I officially switched my major over. In college, when you were working on your projects, did you get a chance to do some shows? I did not sell one single piece of art until quite a bit of time after I was out of school. And I feel like when I was in school, and maybe it's different now because the Internet's been around a lot longer now, and there are different ways to sell your art, but... When I was in school, there was not a ton of direction on how to approach the business side of being an artist Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) And I actually didn't even, I ended up, I didn't even end up having a show at CMU while I was there or selling anything. Kind of got out of there as quickly as I could. I started to realize how expensive school is and Mm -hmm. I'm still, (laughs) still paying down those loans. But yeah, it wasn't until I moved to Ypsilanti after school, yeah, around two years after that, that I um, started doing work on my own and then started, I started doing local indie craft fairs and that was how I really took those first small steps into selling things. It was with shows first. What was your transition when you left school? What did you go to? What was your next step um, right after school? So I moved down to Ypsilanti to be with my boyfriend And I was lucky to get a job almost right away working for Trader Joe's um, in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I um, made all of their sign, everything, every sign, every shelf tag there is made with someone's hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very old fashioned that way. So I painted all their chalkboards, made all their shelf tags. Um, I actually just 
finally left there for good a couple months ago, actually. So I've been there for nine years now. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So it was a great job for many, many years. Eventually, what kind of pushed me into being a full-time printmaker because they decided to cancel their health insurance for part-time employees. Oh, Um, So I was kind of content to do both part-time because it was still like, I learned so much. You learn so much just making art 40 hours a week, whether you want to or not, you know, just, just getting there and like setting your bags down and just having to start either way, you know, whether it's, you know, what you feel like doing that day or not. So I always loved that about it. And I, I learned just as much at that job as I did in school, if not more. But yeah, but eventually I kind of transitioned out of it. So having a, a good job in art, if you can find one that actually will pay you a paycheck was a really good way for me to get started. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that built up my skills enough to the point where I started doing shows. What kinds of shows did you start with? Did you do like a lot of shows or did you just pick a couple big shows and do those? I just picked a couple. I mean, when I first started, most people, indie craft fairs were such a foreign concept that most people did not even, I I mean, I learned about them as I was applying for it, basically. Like, I think I learned about the very first show I did was Detroit Urban Craft Fair. I've Um, done that show, too. That's a cool show. Yeah. Or actually, no, that's not true. The first show I did was like an Ann Arbor Etsy market sort of situation. It was okay. at uh, the Ann Arbor Artisan Market, which is in Carytown. Um, and it was just like 20 vendors who all sold on Etsy and were all kind of part of that community there. But then, right, I mean, maybe a month after that, I did Detroit Urban Craft Fair. And Detroit Urban Craft Fair at that point was maybe in its third year. And it was you know, a super, it blew me away the amount of people I'd met, the amount of work I sold. And that was, that was enough to give me the confidence to keep going for sure. Yeah. And that is a fantastic show. I know I did the last time I did the show, I want to say it was a couple of years ago and it was huge at that point. And I mean, I did, a, mm-hmm. it was a, a big, really big show for me. And then I understand this last show, their winter show, was fantastically huge. Like Their last winter show was, I mean, it was almost double the attendance of that's the amazing. previous year. I don't know what happened in Detroit that day. It was like, I don't know. It was It was crazy. My husband is still at his day job a couple of days a week, and he cuts down. I mean, I print on wood and, like, stretch canvas on wood, so he does all that part of the of the business for me so I had to call him from that show it's a two-day show I had to call him on Saturday and tell him to get in the shop and to call off his day job and oh wow (laughs) make as much stuff as he possibly could because it was just flying off of my table so that's excellent so yeah that show is amazing and the ladies who run Detroit Urban Craft Fair are fantastic. Oh, they, all really they really know how to market a show. And what's really yes. cool, too, about that is, you know, I was born in Detroit, and I love anything that attracts people to the city. The year I did the show, I stayed at my parents' house. I'm driving in, and my sister's like, woo, some of the, some of the scenery looks a little tough. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it's a, you, you drive through some kind of rough, you know, you, you go past in the highway, and you're like, whoa, that's really sad that it's it looks the way it does mm-hmm. in certain parts of the city. But you get down there. You get to the venue and you're just amazed because it's like this big craft magnet that just drives people. Yeah. You know, they're like, just showing up yeah. in mass and they don't care if it looks, I mean, it's at the Masonic temple now, which looks like Gotham city. Like it's just abandoned. I mean, they right. almost lost the Masonic temple this year because it's, you know, they had like a tax bill that they hadn't paid, you know, like it's oh, a wow. huge institution that is in kind of a rundown corner of the city and, but I mean, it's beautiful inside and oh, so many people, 8,000 people came to that show this last year. So the girls at Hammy Detroit have made it a policy of theirs not to do the show anywhere, but inside the city limits, which is pretty awesome considering that they, they could easily, you know, go to Ferndale or Royal Oak or something. They so. sure can. Yeah. And no, I think that's a great commitment that they've made. And I think people are, mm-hmm. people step up because they go to the show, you know, they, yeah. they, they go where the show is. So at what point did you decide like okay I really can make a go of this full-time I think I've always kind of wondered if I could but I had this day job that was comfortable that I got great benefits from and it wasn't until I lost my health insurance that I kind of looked at the books and started thinking about 
pushing it as far as I could. Um, it was kind of a combination of that. And I, I mean, for the longest time, I just sold at shows for, I mean, most of my career so far, I've just sold at shows, but maybe around two years ago, I started selling my work wholesale to shops all over. And that has really kind of been able to bolster the business side of what I do. And at this point, wholesale brings in more than shows do. That helped a lot in kind of getting my income level up to where I needed it, for now, sure. Did you have to adjust your price point? Because, you know, for a lot of artists, they get out there and they're so excited to sell something that they don't realize that, oh, okay, I priced something for $12. And, um, you know, then if a wholesaler comes along and wants to, you know, or a retailer wants to come out and purchase that and then mark it up, usually there's right. about a 50%, you know, markup there. Now, is that something, did you have to adjust your pricing structure or were you already at that point? There were a couple of growing pains when I started doing wholesale like that. My prices at shows are just like a tiny, like 10% discount of my retail prices. And then the wholesale prices are half of that. But what's great about printmaking is that there really is not a ton of overhead. And you don't need, you know, for your time investment, you can make a lot of work in a very small window. So when I've kind of been able to look at the cost per print, it still is a comfortable enough cushion that I can sell it wholesale or at shows for sure. Okay. Cause that's, I know that's something that a lot of people kind of mm. forget that part. And then when, you know, someone comes yeah, along, it's like, yeah, Oh, no, okay. A lot of 50% off. And then they're kind of like, Whoa, now I'm not making any money. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> yeah. When you start off with higher, you know, supplies costs and things that require a lot of your time, I think it can almost be impossible to sell wholesale you know, if you're used to selling at a certain retail mm-hmm. price. And for right. that reason, there are there are things I have always wanted to sell, but but do not because they just can't. I can't change the, you know, the scale of them in the same way. You know, like I used to sell tea towels, and I know you do a lot of tea towels, and maybe it would be a little easier for me now. I've kind of made some upgrades to my setup. But for the longest time, you know, a tea towel, like the cheapest I could get one for, would maybe be a dollar a piece. So if you mess up your print, you just toss a dollar down the drain, mm-hmm. basically. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, you can use yeah. it for a rag in your shop, you know, but but you don't need a hundred <laughs> rags. Most part, yeah, yeah, you just toss the dollar down the drain. So most of my supplies start off with super raw materials that are incredibly cheap from the get-go because I know I constantly misprint. I mean, I have stacks I have stacks and stacks of misprints it's crazy but um so that's why I start with you know pieces of canvas and pieces of pine like it's you know if you start off with materials that have a super tiny price tag on them then you can afford to scale it to whatever you need to the work situation kind of forced you to say okay well there's no benefits and that was one of the great appeals to having that that day job but is it one of those things where is it as you mentioned like that discipline of going to a job physically going someplace and making art and having it because you could kind of sit there and tell your boss, you know, I just, I'm just not feeling it today. Like you, you, right. could, you couldn't say, <laughs> I mean, you were hired to do a job and they're expecting you to, to produce something. So what do you do now? I mean, what, what do you do now to kind of kickstart? Do you have like a routine? Do you start working at the same time every day or are, are you a little more laid back about, you know, what, how you approach it? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of my only resolution is to really get into a routine this year because it's really now I mean I I work from home um my my basement is my I have a fully finished basement and that's my entire studio space you get up in the morning and you know it's I I mean I spent most of yesterday thinking that it was Monday (laughs) which was Sunday like I I mean I like rushed home from somewhere to avoid rush hour on a Sunday um (laughs) you get a little caught in your own head when you work from home in a weird way um so I've been trying to get some really specific patterns established one thing that has helped me a lot that I've kind of taken from my time making signs is that you you know, if you kind of, I will procrastinate by doing other work a lot, you know, if I don't feel like going down to the studio to make prints, I will answer a bunch of emails instead, you know, mm-hmm. or I'll clean the whole house. <laughs> uh, one thing I do that if I feel like if you really need to get work done, what helps is to just go down into your space and tell yourself, you know, there's no pressure to make anything, but just 
grab a cup of coffee and head down there and sit. And um, see what happens. Yeah, and see what happens. And, I mean, within five minutes, I'm running around, you know, getting ink out and trying things. I mean, with the show schedule, it's it's kind of strange because there are, you know, a couple months of the year where I basically, in order to keep up with everything, have to get up and just work all day, almost every single day. This last holiday season, I did five shows in six weekends. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, and my yeah, goodness. It was, so it was a couple, like, at the end of October, I was kind of, prepping myself like okay you're like you're gonna be working every single day <laughs> so you said your husband he works a day job like outside of your business but then is he transitioning mm-hmm. to work in with your business as well or I worked at Trader Joe's for a really long time and he works at Whole Foods now and I mean the great thing about having those kind of jobs and starting a creative business is that there's a lot of flexibility with how much time you have you can kind of slowly step away you know right um so I spent most of last year kind of slowly stepping away from my day job, and then he's kind of in the process of doing that right now. So well, he congratulations is at work to you a guys. couple days a week right now. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's huge. Really that's well. really that's really huge. Yeah, and to be able to um, to do that. And so, do you guys have to pay for your own insurance now, or are you still able to get that through his job? We are both paying for our own insurance. We both buy insurance through the marketplace now, which okay. I think is fantastic. For I'm really glad that that happened for so many artists people that were already working full-time that can now afford health insurance yeah and that that is i think that's a game changer why don't you talk a little bit about the products that you have available and kind of what your line is and how you kind of decided to commit to those things and you did touch on that a little bit but if you can kind of just give us a audio tour of your your product line um so kind of the one mainstay of my line that I've had for years has been small canvas prints. So I screen print on small canvas panels that I cut out from a larger piece of canvas and then I stretch them over wood frames. So it's kind of like a small canvas painting only it's screen printed instead Mm -hmm. of painted. And it kind of comes out from the wall. It's different than having it in a frame. It's a different aesthetic, which is really kind of cool, you know, to have that. Yeah, I really like that on kind of gallery walls, you know, where you have things in frames and maybe you have something in an embroidery hoop and it's kind of a good mix-up texturally to put something like that in there, too. Um, So that was kind of what I started with. And then I started printing on wood and and then I started doing paper. So it's kind of been a progression from one to the other. So what inspired you to do the canvas? When I came to Ypsilanti, I was working at Trader Joe's and I I went to Eastern Michigan University to become an art teacher. So I was kind of, at that point, I was doing some printing, I was doing some school, and I was doing some signs. And I never completed well I did complete the art teaching degree but once I finished I decided I didn't want to teach at all anymore (laughs) um it was kind of one of those things that just ended as soon as it before it even started why do you think that happened well I got through my student teaching in an art classroom it taught me a lot more about myself than it taught me about teaching art um Mm -hmm. it taught me that I'm definitely a an introverted person and I could I almost could not wait to go back to my quiet day job, sitting in a little cubby <laughs> with my pens and pencils. <laughs> yeah. Because teachers, yeah. I mean, I mean, people say all the time that teaching is a it's a really hard job. I mean, it's you know, you especially with with smaller. I mean, it is it's hard with with everyone, but when you have oh, with little, little kids, with little kids, oh my gosh, yes, it's very difficult. Yes. I mean, they want every <laughs> moment of your time. You oh can't, yeah go to the bathroom. I mean, I don't no. know if people and they're so they're so teachers. excited about everything and they want to share I know. it. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. I know. I feel like with teaching, if you're doing it right, you go home every day with every ounce of energy you have <laughs> gone. <laughs> you know? If you're not gaining energy by teaching, you are giving it all away, you know, which is great. It's a it's a wonderful, awesome thing to do, but I I don't think I was extrovert enough for it. For sure. I really love kids and I thought that would be <laughs> I thought that would be enough. But doing it day to day is what made me realize that 
you know, maybe it wasn't enough and that I am probably a lot happier just working by myself. (laughs) Well, you know what, though? I mean, I think life's an adventure. And oftentimes, I mean, we don't know how we're going to react or like a situation until we're in it. And at some point, sometimes it's just like, you know, after all, this maybe was not the thing for me, you know? Yeah. So I think a lot of people have been in that situation. Was it hard for you to explain that to family and friends who had been asking you like, so when are you graduating? When are you going to start teaching? You know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, how, how did you explain yeah, that? Yeah, it them? was hard. I mean, I had a couple of years where I really struggled with it. Um, be, mostly because I had, I had spent so much money to go back to school. I mean, if you already have a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. and then yeah. you just add something like that on top of it it's not you know you don't get any grants or scholarships or anything so I had spent a lot of money to, I had spent more money to get my to get certified than I did on my entire bachelor's degree um so yeah I mean it was there were definitely some questions it helps that I that I had a day job that I liked that I could work you know right so you that I could still make a good living off of you know right. but but yeah it was yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I have a family that's that's always very much been whatever makes you happy, makes us happy. Right. Um, and that is really They've important. taken that same approach to, you know, my career as an artist, too. So right. I'm really lucky there, for sure. You know, if it's just not where your heart is, it's so hard to motivate yourself to do that. So I, I think it's a courageous thing to just honor the thing that you feel like you are really called to do and you know and thank you it took a couple of years to wrap my head around the fact that I was just going to take this path and not have a regular traditional career that I thought I would have you know yeah well it was definitely the right choice yeah well it's it's definitely sounds like it I mean if you had to call your husband from a show and say hey can you make more stuff (laughs) (laughs) that is a really good sign if you're driving home with everything that you arrived with then you know maybe um you know, you feel differently, but no, it clearly you're very successful doing what you're doing. So I was asking you about from there, you know, I kind of, uh, I wanted to know all about this, uh, you know, degree, this major life decision. So I kind of cut you off, but you were, you said you were doing the, that you were talking about how you got started with the canvas signs and. Right. So, yeah. So when I was at Eastern, they did not count all my studio classes. So I had to take a couple of studio classes while I was there and I took one in fibers. And I had this really lovely experience in this fibers class. I don't knit or crochet, but I love embroidery and I love macrame. I mean, I, I really love fibers in a lot of ways. So I had this really awesome, I was super excited about this class and had a wonderful professor. And our, for our very last project, we screen printed on Canvas. And it was in a completely different way than... I had screen printed in when I was an undergraduate. It was super low tech and it was using a different kind of ink. And I loved it. it I loved how the ink looked. I mean, I'd only printed on paper before that point, And I loved how the ink looked on canvas and how you could lay your color. And it was kind of more translucent. And I mean, I was already kind of I was block printing at that point a little bit too and I had an opportunity to show some block prints right after that class and instead I just sped forward with the screen printing that's awesome sort of screen printing on fabric yeah well so I guess I'm seeing an immediate thing jumping out at me because think about it if you would not have gone back to school to pursue a teaching degree do you think you'd even be printing on canvas right now? No, no, I don't. So I don't I'd say, I I'd say it was worth it, sister. <laughs> um. <laughs> it was worth it. You're right. I mean, that, and that's the crazy thing. Every, every choice you make, you know, sets you, even if it just points you in a slightly different trajectory, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was worth it, you yeah. know, yeah. to get you to where you yeah, are. Because I sure. think that was, it sounds like that was a very valuable experience, mm-hmm. especially when you can learn techniques that, are actually something you can reproduce in your house. You don't work with like giant exposure units and all that kind of stuff. So when I first started, I was, I lived in a, I think it was a two bedroom apartment and I made prints in my kitchen. I ran a clothesline from my kitchen wall all the way through to my laundry room. And that was where I hung up all of my prints to dry. <laughs> I, I have done <laughs> and that I kept recently. everything in a little closet and I would get it in and out every single time. And I mean, I, I think I probably started my entire business for around $50 before my first show. That was to be able to 
start something with almost nothing is a great way to go. I learned screen printing on exposure units and in all of that. But, but when I actually started to do it professionally, it was on such a small scale. It was, you know, cutting shapes out of contact paper and sticking those to screens. Um, that it took, it sometimes it takes me, it's taken me a while to catch up professionally. Like I just started using hinge clamps to hold my screen down to oh, my really? table. Really? <laughs> yeah. so you were, wait, so you were doing, I started you, doing that like a year ago. So wait, yeah. you were doing as much printing as you're doing without hinge clamps? Yeah. Wow. It's true. Yeah. I was. Yeah. You get in these ruts of how you, at least I get in these yeah. ruts of how, how I make prints and, and the, the last couple of years especially have been big in terms of pushing myself outside of what's comfortable into new processes and everything. Right. Well, I mean, the- although all of, all of that said, I don't know if I will really ever make the jump into burning my own screens. Part of what's so magical about printmaking is that you're removed once from your image because you make it. And then, you know, you don't get to keep working on it. You print it and that's it and it's over, you know? Right, right. You don't get to keep tweaking it like a painting. So there's already one step of removal there. But for me, if I don't have, you know, super amazing control over what the screen looks like, because I either painted directly onto the screen and that's not perfect process, or, you know, I cut a stencil and put it onto the screen, to me, that's like another removal and another changing things from what you thought they would be to what they actually print as, you know? Mm-hmm. So I used to paint a lot, and it was really hard for me to know when to stop mm-hmm. painting. <laughs> I would just keep going until things were a muddy mess. But what I like about <laughs> printing is you make you make a decision, and then you just follow it through, and it's over. You know, you if you want to change your course you kind of have to go back to square one right so yeah to, in order to to make prints I really like to be able to be really far removed from the finished product and making them in a really simple way helps a lot it turns what like instead of just like a, a drawing or taking you know a font and turning it exactly into my image instead I get to kind of pull it back and make it something different that I didn't expect it would be. So you got into Mm -hmm. the printing on wood. What inspired you to print on wood? Why did you want to do that? I mean, I I really love wood. I really love unpainted. You know, we just have like random old pieces of barn wood made into shelves around our house. We're not too, too picky about that sort of thing. So I guess it was just really loving the the warmth that you get from wood and it you know it took me a little while to figure out how to print onto wood but but once I did it worked great and they they sell really well it shows people really like the prints on wood and it's really fun it's fun and it's really easy to print on wood too it doesn't um the thing with fabric is that when you print on it, it immediately starts to kind of, and maybe not not so much tea towels and like thin gauzier fabric, but with canvas anyway, it immediately starts to like shrink and pucker and change. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. really weird that way. Um, so wood doesn't have any of those challenges for the most part. It either sits right on top or, you know it's just underneath the surface it soaks in just a little bit Mm -hmm. um so i like that it's it's more worry free than fabric is fabric if if you want to print more than one color at a time it's almost impossible to do that and let the fabric dry in between your prints so all of my prints that are more than one color i'm printing wet on wet like i have two or three screens going at one time oh wait so everything is wet you don't wait for it mm-hmm. to dry. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with paper- with, I mean, I used to, but if you do, it won't, you won't be able to register it correctly. Okay. Because the, fab- because the, as soon as you start to print, it'll, your canvas will start to just shrink in and pull in toward all the areas that you have ink on, like the fibers will start to kind of close up. Oh, um, yeah. So it's kind of slurping yeah, up Yeah. And that it's, ink. it makes it really hard to line up like all of your subsequent colors. So is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you really want to share? The only thing I can think of is Dipsy. 
Oh yeah, the that's actually kind of a huge. That's kind of that's kind of a huge thing. Yeah. So we talked about the Detroit Detroit Urban Craft Fair, but not the show that you actually put together, which is a failure on my part. So I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> not at all. It just it just happened. So it's definitely still, and we're trying to figure out. You know, it's kind of like I heard once that the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, like the day after the parade. You know, yeah. they're planning for next year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And art shows are exactly the same way as soon as one ends. You know, you need to start booking the spaces for the following year. Um, so that's what we've been doing since the holidays, basically, is trying to figure out what direction we're going in. Is that show once per year or twice per year? Um, it is now twice per year. So we okay. usually have one in the summer in August. And then we always have one the second weekend of December. Okay, so that's so you have two prime times for um, for selling mm-hmm. goods. And what led to the creation of this show? Um, we actually so Ypsilanti was home to a show called Shadow Art Fair for I think five or six years, and it was one of the first indie art fairs in the entire country. Um, I want to say it started maybe in I don't know two thousand two or three. It, it was really early on. Yeah, that um, was pretty early on. The group that ran Shadow in Ypsilanti started kind of pulling back and going their separate ways, um, and they dismantled their stuff. And, and that show was always more, it was less about kind of the handmade movement and more about, you know, experimental art. So there would be giant puppets there. There would be people cutting hair in crazy ways there, mixed in with handmade artists. So it was kind of it was different than Detroit Urban Craft Fair and like a lot of the shows that kind of focus on the handmade community specifically. Mm-hmm. So they disbanded their holiday show and a few of the artists, so this is in 2010 and there were a couple of artists that lived in town that I was friends with. And we were like, this is it to have a holiday show that is super well attended. And then to just drop it, we felt was a huge missed opportunity because if she had been used to the shadow art fair for so long and had been used to what handmade means, but mm-hmm. they would definitely be willing to come out for a holiday show. So we kind of sprung up in their absence. That's really cool. And so that was, um, so 2010. So how many shows have you done? This last one was our fifth holiday show. And I think we've done eight shows total. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're getting to eight be, or nine. you're a seasoned veteran now in show planning. How big is this show? How many vendors do you have? Um, we usually have around 50 vendors at the show, so it's not too big, um, but we usually have around two to 3,000 attendees. Wow. So it's really well attended, but we never, there's no, it's a really small town. It's a really cool town with a great creative community, but there, it still is tiny, and there's not a lot of amazing, huge spaces where you can have a show. So that has always restricted us to keeping it a smaller, more intimate show. Do you guys go to the same venue every year, or do you kind of move it around? Um, We've bounced around a little bit. We have been at Cornell Brewery for a really long time. Um, But this last time we went to, that's in the Depot Town area, and then this last time we went downtown to our local art center for our last holiday show. Okay. Um, And then the summer one will be back at Corner Brewery. So I think we may be... I don't want to jinx us, but we maybe have found kind of a good summer home and a good winter home in two different places in town. Well, that's good. I mean, because the thing is, it's yeah. kind of nice to get people to two different venues, too. It kind of keeps things yeah. kind of fresh if they go to every show for people. Yeah, you know? they each have something different to offer. Corner Brewery has a, you know, having a show at a brewery is a great kind of party atmosphere. People stay and they hang out and... It's really fun. Um, we had live music at the last one well into the night, and it was a great time. Are people more willing to spend a lot of money at a show with beer, do you find? Um. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean we've, at times we've had the show run from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and you would be amazed after 9 o'clock at night in a brewery what people buy. <laughs> kind of just what they're... You know, I had someone buy seven of the same print once and kind of just grab them and throw them on the table. And I don't even think she knew what she was buying at all. You know, it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely a different experience 
Yeah, and then you have to have a zero. Like, you have to have a sign that says, "I am not responsible." You know, I'm, I'm not going to breathalyze you. Made. Yeah, while while intoxicated. Um, yeah, no, I totally. think. Yeah, I know. I I actually know an artist in Grand Rapids who's a leather worker, and she told me kind of a funny story about how she had <laughs> sold a piece of same situation show at a brewery, and um, <laughs> someone bought like a pretty expensive handbag. I mean, a seriously expensive, like yeah. super awesome handbag. And she's like, yeah, I have no idea. Like she woke up the next day if she realized like what she did because she, might not have, you know, and the thing is, you're not you're not going to tell an adult like you can't tell somebody. I know. Like, oh, I don't know. If you, but you I don't can, know if you should you be trying to tell. Yeah. And it's not like you driving when people are doing something on a whim, you know, right. and it's or not if like, they're doing it because they really love it. Right. It's not like I mean, it's I don't think it's nearly as reckless. Like if you don't stop, if someone's trying to get into a car or something, then, yeah, you do right. whatever you yes. can to stop them. But if they're <laughs> yeah, trying to buy a print while intoxicated, yeah, it's, not it's a like, well, act, it's probably but... not going to hurt them, but it might cause a, a little some heart, heart palpitations the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you do that show with two other artists. Is that you know, this a collaboration of three people? Yeah, um, it's me. And then Sherry Green, who runs a company called The Library Lab. And then um, a guy named Cree Fuller, who builds sculptures from upcycled materials, mostly into, like, lamps that look like robots. Oh, wow, um, cool. So there's a lot of old percolators, and they light up, and everyone oh, really loves fun. them. So, really? yeah, the three of us all have lived in town for a really long time and have always collaborated and juried the show together. Oh, that's great. So what is that like for you? Because I'm sure you've applied for shows, many shows in your career. Oh, it's and when so you became... hard. It's the worst. Usually we have three or four times the number of applications that we do spots available. Oh, wow. So I, you are telling almost everyone no, and it's it's really, really hard. And it's, you know, kind of you want to strike a balance between people that you know are really great sellers and that are customer favorites and that will, you know do great at the show with people that are just starting out and kind of getting their sea legs. And, you know, you want to make sure that they are being able to do a show where they have a good experience too. And then we are trying to get in artists that live and work in Ypsilanti. That's something that we try to focus on a lot just to help our tiny little economy and community. So you kind of have to take all those priorities and just shake them up and see what, falls out and it's it's really hard and it's definitely been hard to be part of the art community when you are someone that has to judge it you know mm-hmm. that's the, it's the, by far the worst part of the job absolutely it's the worst are, do I you find it didn't exist that people are pretty cool about it though when they hear or do have you guys had to really you know deal with some fallout yeah i mean we definitely Almost every time we notify people, we usually get an email or two from people that are disappointed or angry, or you know. It seems like sending. It seems like or another. It seems like sending an angry note to you guys might not be a great way to get into the next year's show. Probably <laughs> <laughs> <It's true. laughs> <Tell me> not. <laughs> As painful as it might be for the the person who really wanted to be part of the show, it's it's sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's taking you know it's saving them from wasting a, a day of their life you know sitting yeah. at the table getting angry. So um, yeah, exactly. And I mean, the three of us are we don't do the show on our own preferences at all. You know, it's kind of just taking what we know shoppers have liked at previous shows and trying to you know kind of curate the best selection for whatever we think people will enjoy so you know we try to tell people not to take it personally there are so many weird factors going into it but you know so it sounds like it's hard you know it's it's hard to run it you know and when you do a lot of shows too then you like run into a lot of vendors who you know applied for your show and did not get in and that's it's just it it makes it all just kind of awkward and yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's not the funnest thing in the world to do, but so for the people listening, can people from anywhere apply for the show or are you really trying to focus on local artists? Yeah. I mean, we take probably, you know, it kind of depends, depends 25 to 30% of our vendors usually live in Ypsilanti. Um, okay. So we've taken people from as far away as Pittsburgh and Milwaukee and Minneapolis. So, Oh, cool. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've is... got people from, Mostly, I mean, we've never had anyone come from the West Coast or anything, but from the Midwest, yeah. Okay. 
And do you have a date picked out for your summer show? The summer show is August 8th and 9th, and applications will open in May. The show is called? It's called Dipsy. Okay, I didn't want to. I, 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 I yeah, <laughs> it's hard. It's a tricky one. Well, I didn't want to call it's it a, Dipsy if you guys didn't want to call it Dipsy. I was concerned that um, I was going <laughs> to. I thought you said, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she said Dipsy, but I'm like, I don't want to sound like I'm insulting the show. I think that's a really cute name for the show. <laughs> it's catchy. I like it. It's tricky because not a lot of people abbreviate. You don't abbre- tend to abbreviate a planning to Ipsy if you don't live here. So it's kind of just well, a it's, whole it's a weird. Michigan thing for sure. Yeah. And I again, I, I thank you for just being so willing to share some of your tips and, and techniques with screen printing. Because I think a lot of times people sometimes are very you know guarded and reluctant about sharing how they do things and what they make. And and I find that, um, you know, I'm not threatened by when someone asks me a question, I'm like, OK, I try to tell them like, hey, this is what I do. But it you mm-hmm. know, if you find a better way, let me know, because I would right. love Might not to be improve. Right for you, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so I really appreciate that. And I think that's really I think it's you know, it comes from a teacher place in me and probably in you too, where, you know, you, I want other people to succeed. At this point, I've been doing this for long enough that I don't feel like, you know, someone's going to come along and replace me, you know, no, if you well, make no, and you're, things and you're... that you feel like are original, then you can, you know, give people all the tips in the world to get started, you oh, know, yeah. because yeah. they're never going to be inside your head, you know, right. but Right. And I think it's good. It's good, too. Even when people have, you know, I felt like there might have been you know, a time or two where I'm like, whoa, that looks really familiar. Like, I think I made mm-hmm. some, you know, I try not to get real bent out of shape about stuff like that because it pushes me to just move on to the next thing. Like, right. OK, what's yeah. next? And that's how I feel, too. I feel like if I see something that looks familiar to me, I'm like, OK, well, it's definitely time to disregard that image and just you know move on to me i don't i to some people the images that they make are really precious you know and to me they just never have been i don't know if it's because i have a short attention span or i just have (laughs) too many things i want to make but you know i like to reinvent my line twice a year usually and i don't hold on to things for very much longer than that usually well i think it's a really healthy it's a healthy outlook yeah. How many runs of something do you typically do when you do a design? I mean, on the small end, it maybe will only have 100 prints before I retire it. Okay. And then I, I have a couple designs that are probably getting close to 1,000 prints. Wow, that that's are, really cool. Just about their time to go. Like, yeah. Did you have to, rem- to remake, your, remake your screens for 1,000 prints? Um, I think the one that I'm thinking of in particular, I think I've redone I've read on the screen once now and I touched it up along the way a few times but so it changes a little bit yeah mm-hmm. and that was just using screen filler so you were using I don't even the blue stuff that you were putting on the drawing fluid I don't even use that stuff because it's kind of like painting with it I feel like it's too viscous it's really weird um, yeah it's pretty so um... I just use the screen filler <clears throat> oh so you just use screen filler you don't and you just leave mm-hmm. you just leave the other part blank or, or put yep. something, mask it mm-hmm. off. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, you, yeah, I don't like, I have a huge thing of drawing fluid. If I ever meet you, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Starting out, I felt like the screen filler, it kind of, or the drawing fluid, it kind of helped me feel like, okay, let me get this design on here, fill that in, and then right. put the other stuff around it. If you can think about it in the negative instead of the positive, then the drawing fluid works just as well. If you're going to write love in the drawing fluid and then cover it all with screen filler so that the word is what prints, right. you know, you could just as easily mask off a square and paint love in the middle of it with just screen filler and then everything but the word prints. Right, right. And that's, that's how I make a ton of stuff. And that's a great way if you just like doing abstract things and experimenting with lines and, you know, seeing what it looks like on print. That's a really fun way to do it. It's just to grab a screen filler and just doodle away on there and you'll end up with, you know, your marks will be your background fabric or paper. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, and, and it's so much fun. And I, I know you had said that you just started using hinges, but I have to say that uh, troll, <laughs> yeah. trolling around on the internet, I see a lot of people who are printing yardage, especially, and they're not using mm-hmm. hinges. They're just kind of setting that screen down. And yeah, and then, that's and so, for a really long so time, there's yeah. a lot of people who do that method. And um, I think the, 
you know, there's some people who are addicted to the hinges. I learned with the hinges at in this class. So then I went and I bought some hinges because I'm like, oh, I gotta mm-hmm. have the official setup here, which you you totally don't though. You totally don't. You can no, use your. No, you don't. I mean, the hinges are only fifteen dollars. Right. What what I heard so many you should probably just get them. But um, what I did, you know, what the crazy difference the hinges made was that I started having all of these repetitive motion injuries in my arms and in my shoulders. And as soon as I, I raised my tape, my work table, I think three inches, and then you started using hinge clamps, and they're completely gone. Right. So sometimes, so sometimes it's if just... you start having those aches and pains, like if you reevaluate your setup, then they, they will just disappear. It's crazy. I yeah. went from thinking, like, maybe I won't be able to do this 10 years from now to it being absolutely no problem. That's awesome. And, and so $15 hinge clamps... Yeah, $15 hinge clamps. Yeah, I probably should have did that five years ago. <laughs> yeah, so do you have a preference between oil and water-based products? For I pre- actually, so what I use for almost everything, I don't use for, if I was going to make towels or I used to make pillows, anything you throw on the washing machine, I use, I just use regular speedball. I'm pretty sure it's water-based ink. I mean, I heat set it before I sell it. But what I use for almost everything is transparent-based. Are you familiar with that at all? Trans- what it's, is it? um, it's called Transparent Base. Speedball makes it. Um, I use it. It looks does not look like any other ink. It's really it basically comes out just looking like clear with the consistency of snot almost. <laughs> oh my goodness! I use that, and then I I tint it, and I use um a couple different ways to tint it. I'll either use just like and I do make sure I use I use light fast things to tint it with. So I use either like acrylic paint that I know is light fast, or I use those uh, jacquard silk dyes. Okay. Dye. Yeah. If you're familiar with those with silk colors, and I just use a dropper and kind of you know put it into the transparent base until I get the color I want. So that way is also it's really cost effective to buy a thing a transparent base. And just work that way because you can get to whatever color you want to. Do you spend a day like just making, mixing a bunch of ink and then? Yeah, if I'm going to, if I know I'm going to make a whole bunch of prints, then I will spend a day like with a mixing bowl (laughs) making huge batches of ink. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't usually, when I, you know, there's a lot of things that I use regular, like if I were going to make tea towels, I would not use transparent base, but. If you're going to make art, transparent base is totally right. Cause you want, to yeah, because you want to make sure that whatever you're using on a, on cloth is going to be, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to go through the wash and be okay. But I really appreciate all your time. And thanks so much. Thank again, you. For sharing yeah, your story. I appreciate it too. Uh, special thanks to Marcy Davey for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot just from talking to her. And I love it when artists are collaborative in nature and willing to share what they know and confident in their own work. And I think Marcy's doing some wonderful work over at All Things Grow. Uh, That's her business that you can check out. You can see her work at marcydavy.com. I will post links to her website as well over at craftsanity.com. Show her some love after she shared so much with us. And I'm going to need to get to Dipsy this year. That would be really fun to check out that show. I have not been to it yet. I'd like to take a moment to thank my Patreon sponsors and ACS Home and Work for continuing to make this podcast happen. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you know that you can email me if you have an idea for an upcoming show. All you have to do is email jennifer at craftsanity.com. And if any of you are quilters or sewers or in the market for a new sewing machine, I encourage you to head over to craftsanity.com and check out a YouTube video that I just posted about, well, I actually have two that will be out this week. They're about a new sewing machine that I purchased. I got the Juki TL2010Q. Now, I had been trying to decide which machine to upgrade to for, I would say, years now because I do free motion quilting on a Janome 3500. It always has felt kind of like it was about to give way in the middle of my projects, and I tend to be pretty intense. When I'm free motion quilting, I don't really take breaks. I like, bam, I'm going zoom, 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 and I will forgo 
sleep, bathroom breaks, food, I just sew. Some of these home sewing machines are not really designed for that kind of intense uh, sewing. So I knew that I needed to upgrade to something that was gonna have a little more power, a little more bigger throat space to get the quilt rolled up and under the needle there. So I bit the bullet and forked over the cash for this new machine. And let me just tell you, oh my goodness, out of the box, I was like, whoa, this is pretty darn awesome. I had heard really good things about it. I was just hoping and crossing my fingers that I would feel the same way about it once I had it in my house. And I do. My full review on this machine will be published on Sunday of a link from craftsanity.com. What I did do is I uh, noticed that folks seem to be having trouble with the auto needle threader. And well, I mean, you can just thread the machine, you know, you can thread the needle without the automated part of it. But a lot of people, you know, if you have an auto threader, it seems kind of ridiculous not to use it. It's supposed to be a convenience thing. The instructions in the manual are not super clear. So initially there was a little bit of uh, guessing and I jump online and try to figure out like, okay, say other people have this problem. And it just seemed to me like a lot of people were having issues with the needle threader. So I kind of got things sorted out and figured out how to use it. It didn't take terribly long, but I decided that I would do a, a YouTube video and show others how to use that needle threader. So if you have this machine or a friend has a machine or you're thinking about buying the machine, I encourage you to check out that video. Hopefully that will save you a little bit of, you know, minor frustration. Aside from that, I mean, the machine sews really well. So um, I am not on commission for Juki. I did not get this machine for free. That would have been great, but no, I bought it. So this is me just basically talking about something that I purchased that I think is great. I know I had some trepidation. Anytime you put hundreds of dollars down on a machine, and this was under a thousand, you kind of wonder like, hmm, I hope this is not a mistake doing this. So I, I'm trying to just contribute to the conversation. So I have one video about the needle threader and then I have another video showing how you set this machine up for free motion quilting. And that's actually one of the big reasons why I purchased it is it does a straight stitch and it can free motion. It comes with two feet for free motion quilting, which is great. So you don't have to go searching for them. You can just open the box and get going within a matter of minutes. So I think it's uh, really been fun to use. I'm hoping to get more time to use it soon. I'm just letting you guys know that those videos are out there on my YouTube channel. Okay, so I need to get to work and I will be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at craftsanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at craftsandy.etsy.com. Same time next week will be craft.